Hey, everybody. I am here with Jason from Glastonbury Electronics Recycling. How's it going? Good. How are you? Excellent. So I had met you recently at Retro World Expo. And once you told me you were an electronics recycler, I got very excited because the I think there's a disconnect between electronics recyclers and what's needed quite a lot in the communities. So I wanted to talk to you about your knowledge. I wanted to share some of the stuff that uh, we on the retro nerd side need and mm -hmm. hopefully just kind of give everybody a better understanding of what goes on with things like that. So uh, I guess the very easy basics is, you know, could you just give us like the basic overview of the recycling center that you or the recycling company that you own? Sure. So we're basically waste collection and sorting. So we don't, I don't really do the processing. What we do is obtain old computers and electronics from people in the area. And then uh, things get disassembled, broken down. Uh, circuit boards have to be sorted in a very specific set of categories. There's different amounts of materials like gold and silver and so forth in circuit boards. Um, then basically, we're earning money by the pound for different types of boards. Hmm. So what different types of boards are there? Are there how many chips are on them? The size mm -hmm. of the board? What's like, what's kind of that thing? So like for motherboards, you got different, different socket types have different amounts of gold in them. And it seems like they become more efficient using less gold as they go along. So the farther back you go in time, like those old, um, um, I three eighty six sockets, and those big plastic sockets with the gap in the middle, those are worth more than those newer uh, Intel Link Red Array metal sockets, that kind of mm. thing. Then you got servers that have multiple sockets and uh, things like RAM have a lot of gold packed down in one little chip. So those are worth a lot more by the pound than say finger cards, like sound cards and video cards. Interesting. And um, when you're going through this stuff, whether it's an old PC or whether it's a video game console or whatever else, do you, do you kind of keep in mind like what's the rarer stuff? So like, oh, hey, I should make sure this thing works before I recycle it. Or is there just so much volume that you don't have the ability to do that? It, it was kind of a thought in the back of my mind. What if some of these old computers boot and I could make videos out of them? Yeah. So we started playing around with some of the old computers. You know how they made hardware from IBM and so forth back in the day. They made it practically indestructible. These computers still run 30 years later. Uh, so yeah. we started booting them up playing around, um, just installing DOS, Windows 3.1, and that kind of thing. Then my friend tried to convince me, why don't we try to get games to run on it and make videos about that? Now, I actually didn't believe him at first. I'm like, who cares about old video games? And then he clued me in on the whole culture and the whole world and the whole community about retro gaming. And so that's how we kind of ended up starting our own retro gaming channel off of the old recycling junk. And I can't see this off camera, but I have an old pile of 286, 386, 486 old Macs. I have a bunch of old stuff here that I save nice. aside. <laughs> nice. Do you come across a lot of CRTs? Yeah. Interesting about that. It's kind of a black hole in the recycling business because there's not a lot of valuable materials in it, but there is hazardous materials. So getting rid of them and figuring out what I can do as a business is kind of tough because at most all I can do is kind of charge the customer a transport fee to get rid of it for them. Because when it comes to circuit boards, uh, I, I, I advertise of like, we'll recycle your computer for free because it's worth it. But the CRT screens, it's tough. There's really no yeah. money in it. So from a CRT side of things, I could certainly give you a rundown here. And, uh, you know, for anybody listening whose skin is crawling right now, don't worry. You know, we're going through this. We're going to get it. We're going to save <laughs> as many CRTs as possible. But there's a few things, any one of them that has component video inputs, or if you ever stumbled across a TV in the US with a SCART input, um, those are immediately things that you should just kind of pause for a moment and say, okay, you know, what do we have here? What is this? Especially if it's smaller, because while most of us want larger CRTs, when it comes down to actually picking one up and putting it in your car, you very often you don't have a car big enough or you don't have strong enough friends. So mm -hmm. the smaller ones are the ones that you could wrap in old blankets and ship enough to where it's probably going to survive. Whereas, yep. And I'm definitely oversimplifying because CRTs get destroyed in shipping all the time. Mm -hmm. But anything with a component video input uh, or especially a SCART input, or especially any of the weirder HD CRTs with VGA, DVI, or HDM, HDMI inputs, mm -hmm. those right off the bat should just be a pause. Because where you go, and then, you know, 
you write down the model number and you got to do a little bit of research. You could always reach out to myself and a million other people uh, mm -hmm. if you need to. Some are junk. Uh, some are might be the holy grail monitors that people are looking for, but the tube mm -hmm. is blown out. So it's yeah. still junk. Um, but you will absolutely find ones that people are looking for. And the other thing is once you start disassembling CRTs, let's say it only has an RF input, a little screw terminal on the back and nothing mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. So your average gamer is probably going to say, well, I can get a million of those for free, but pop the case off. Try to get the model number off of the tube itself. You know, there's almost always a sticker on it because it's very common for a tube inside a consumer TV to be the exact same model number tube that's in an arcade machine. Hmm. And even in the times that it's not, it's also common to find a tube in good condition and maybe you got to swap the yoke out, which is not fun, but if it happens to be a tube that's a perfect fit for somebody's arcade machine, that's a big deal. So, you know, getting all of that info out, making sure they work, there's no burn in, all that other stuff, uh, depending on the TV could be a win for everybody because first and foremost, you know, this is your business. You're spending your time. Therefore, you should be getting paid for this period. End of story. Or that weird group of people out there that think if you love it, you should do it for free, which is nice. That would be nice. But you need to get paid. Uh, but on the flip side of things, you need to undercut the scalpers because they're just awful. They'll find a TV that's broken barely works but it's got an hdmi port so they'll list mm -hmm. it for 600 bucks and some some poor unknowing person might pick it up it's just it that's how that's how resellers end up getting terrible names so you start finding stuff for people and you know if i'm not telling you how to run your business but if you have a pretty hard return policy of you could test it if you want but no returns no matter what mm -hmm. if somebody breaks it if they can't figure out how to change the yoke that's too bad you, you bought it that's it but if you provide that for a decent price, I think you'll have people kind of lined up to buy all of this stuff. Yeah, well, we we resell, we fix up and resell what we can. Um, if a computer, like sometimes we get uh, IT turnover, you know, we get decommissioned stuff from a business that still works. They just had a policy to phase it out. So there's actually a whole testing area of what can we salvage to strip for parts, to refurbish, to resell. So, I mean, I could kind of picture just including the CRTs in that same flow of testing things. Yeah, I think that would be a really, really good move because I and, you know, the the people listening to this are your target audience, essentially. So mm -hmm. you're going to get contacted by people afterwards. And, you know, I'm sure everybody is going to say something like, oh, if I give you this model CRT, can you know, let me know if it comes in. That's impossible. There's no, you know, it, unless somebody's really willing to pay for that which you know it's up to them i guess but that's impossible near impossible for somebody to keep track of all that stuff yeah you know, like do they ask for it in you yeah know. <laughs> recycling pickups kind of like random treasure hunting anyway you never really know what right. you're gonna get but do you have um, a website with a list of current sales and stuff like that uh the retail stuff is not on the website so at our website recycledlastonbury.com that's more about the pickup service that we do in the area as far as the sales that we do that's either bulk scrap sales or bulk sales to like private buyers or on eBay, Mercari, Facebook Marketplace. eBay should be fine. Um, you know, eBay always has a reputation, but as anybody, I mean, it's like saying AliExpress, right? There's a million good sellers on AliExpress and there's mm -hmm. two million terrible ones. So it's yeah. no different on eBay, but that would be completely and totally fine. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. You could always just leave a link to your eBay page on your, you know, embedded on your website. So that's easy stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but that's definitely a big one. Same thing with VGA, CRT monitors. There's so many of them that are, as much as I, I would hate to see any CRT thrown out, they're kind of worthless. Whereas there's a whole bunch that look pretty much like the rest but you read the model on the front or the back and you go oh wow that's a good one and just power it up is there burn in is it yellow or is it actually a clean tube mm -hmm. and then you know i think stuff like that is probably going to be worth your time shipping really is the only issue because to to test and check out a crt and put it on your shelf and have somebody walk into a store and pick it up pretty easy but taking a crt that's only worth 200 bucks and spending an hour packing it. I mean, you yeah. have to charge 150 bucks shipping for that mm -hmm. to be worth your time. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Mm-hmm. And depending on the TV, it's some people would be more than happy to pay for that. But, you know, that's why you see, unfortunately, a lot of these like 20-inch consumer-grade TVs that are mint kind of get left aside because it's 20-inch and up are really the size where it starts to get very hard to ship them. 13 yeah. inches are fairly easy. So the times that I've sold a few CRTs here and there was locally, like people called me randomly looking for CRTs and I didn't even know there was a demand for it until that happened. Oh, and, yeah. um, shipping. Yeah. I guess I could try that with the smaller ones and then advertise the bigger ones on Facebook marketplace. Cause I do the local meetups selling stuff on marketplace. You know, that's another thing too, is, um, anybody locally because while I'm, I'm talking to you jason i'm also talking to every recycler who might be listening or sure. everybody who might be in this scene at all you know one thing to look up would be to local retro gaming meetups and retro games plus one of the uh, the crew that does also retro world expo mm-hmm. have meetups every couple of months where it's just anybody could come you know sit down bring your stuff and sell it and if you rolled up with a van just parked outside you know looking like an 80s creeper in a van but you roll the window you know roll the side door open and there's just all crts i guarantee that's going to be worth the trip every time you're not going to make a million dollars but you're going to drive away from that going this wasn't a waste of my time so you know that's stuff like that are things that people should really take advantage of you know bring these things to the community that is looking for them even if they don't remember at the time that they're looking for them type of thing and even the expos if you set up a you know get to get a giant metal rack like that with some wheels on it and you know bring start bringing crts to retro gaming expos i guarantee you'd sell them every time as long as you know decent price the higher end stuff the stuff that people are looking for years for uh, on average can go anywhere from a thousand to 4500 to wow. really rare ones go for over 10 grand now but those are i mean if you found one of those you'd know it <laughs> but um do you have info on your website about crts because i took a peek at your site you have a lot of really good technical detail detailed information on there yeah i don't ever i don't have it broken down like this which is one of the reasons why i wanted to do this podcast is both to, to help you out so you could help us out but any other recycler or people who have the ability to do this um so the, the basic rundown is if it looks like a microwave you know if it's a boxy thing it's probably or if it says right on it pvm professional video monitor or bvm broadcast video monitor somebody definitely wants it now the price point's going to be higher uh, that isn't always something you want to bring to a show because generally speaking, people who walk into expos aren't prepared to drop a grand, but those are also the ones you get, you know, the more expensive something is, the more careful you have to be. Mm-hmm. Is there burn in Are all the capacitors leaking out on the board, destroying the whole thing? You know, there are absolutely monitors out there with similar hours, but one's worth four grand and one's worth 400 because one's in flawless condition, completely restored from the ground up, and the other one needs that restoration. So it's little stuff like that. But there's tons of people in the community that are always willing to help. Me too, if you're always willing to, to just cool. hit me up, whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah, though, that's that's definitely the number one first thing I wanted to talk to you about, is saving CRTs and trying to figure out how to get them in the hands of people who actually want them. Yeah, I didn't know that they were doing meetups like that over at Retro Games Plus. I'm friendly with the folks at the Berlin Turnpike Retro Games Plus. I'll talk to them about that. Yeah, cool. It's on their website, too. They have the um, Congo meetups, I think they call them. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a guy in Norwalk, Al, who does Algo. <laughs> That's like the same thing. And they're always they're every, every one I've been to has been worth going, even if I just stop by to say hi to some friends that usually go. It's it's cool, but there's always people there to buy stuff. So, well, you know, there's often you'll find people walk into a retro store or even a new store and, you know, they want to look around. They kind of want to check stuff out and see, but the meetups are really where people go with cash in pocket looking to get stuff. Mm -hmm. Not as much window shopping. So those are pretty good, but the expos definitely, but the cheaper ones are probably going to be the ones you'd want to bring there and maybe just bring a list of any of the more expensive ones. Um, 
there's a few people around the country that restore them. Steve from Retrotech's the guy in the U.S. who, you know, if you found one of those ones where it could be worth tons, getting it down to him uh, is definitely something to do. And depending on how much time you want to spend on it, depending on the monitor, Steve might even do something like, you know, sell it for you on consignment type of thing. Mm -hmm. He only does that with the high end stuff. Like you're not going to send Steve 15 TVs that are worth a hundred bucks each. But yeah. if you got one of those ones where it's like, this could be worth three or four grand if somebody took the time to restore it. That's the one you want to go to Steve with and say, you know, make this the perfect monitor that people, somebody in the country has been dreaming about because there's mm -hmm. more of us than you'd expect. Yeah, just I, just have, I just have to learn about how to identify the stuff. That is easy and I could definitely help with that. Um, I'll, I'll show you some more stuff after after the fact, but the boxy old production monitors are usually the ones that go for more and the inputs on it. Um, and if you ever find a curved tube TV with component inputs, those are the ones that a lot of people favor because you have that old school look, but you also have the best possible signal that can go in. So there, you know, there are things that make them worth a little more than others, but generally speaking, the inputs that are available and the condition it's in are the number to, or, or not even the condition of the TV, the condition of the tube, like it's um, performance condition are the two best things. Like one of the, uh, it's off camera now, but one of the TVs Steve gave me was in a fire. The plastic had melted, but it turned out to be a really good CRT and the, the tube itself was basically new. Mm -hmm. So he cleaned it up, RGB modded it and spray painted the case. So the case is like <laughs> half perfect, half mangled, but it looks like a brand new TV with an RGB input. Mm -hmm. So, you know, plugging them in, giving them a try, basic, basic testing, like have... A video game console hooked up to it with the 240p test suite where i'll hook you up with all that stuff and you could have all the outputs rf every single signal and just throw up a color bar and if you see crazy burn in or if it's super dim or if the white comes out yellowed then it's probably dead and do your best to scrap it but if it's not and it's got those inputs i mean that basic testing right so if you just set up a little camera and you, as you're doing the test, you're just, you know, or your cell phone or whatever, you're flipping pictures like here's the color bar you know, test. Here's solid color and white and then red, green and blue just to, to prove there's no burn in. Here's the model number. Here's the inputs in the back. The stuff that you would do anyway to test them, that's your marketing right there. So you put that up and then you just got to kind of figure out what each go for. And I, I really think like. I, I really hope that more recyclers work with more nerds to get stuff like this because it's not just video games. There is a whole growing nostalgia around VHS, Laserdisc, home movies. You you grab a 13-inch CRT and plug your old camcorder into it to play the movies from the 80s and 90s. Like that's it's never going to look the same. So that, that's that's a much more growing market just like classic cars old music old clocks i mean all mm -hmm. this stuff is you know important to a small percentage but really important to a small percentage so. i would imagine a lot of recycling companies have no idea about this that there's a demand for yeah. crts the one that i worked with in brooklyn as soon as they found out there was a demand they turned into the biggest pieces of shit I went down there to buy a broken monitor because I wanted to take the chassis to make it a display piece, to make it a fun piece. And they were charging 175 And I went, you know what? That's fun. And then I got there and somehow it was 450 And then <laughs> they said, come back tomorrow. I came back the next day and somehow it's 800 And they would allow me to buy it if I helped them restore other CRTs. It was uh, everything I could possibly do not to throw that guy through the window of his own store after that wasting my time for two days. And wow. that's not uncommon. As soon as somebody smells money, it's how much can I take advantage of everybody looking for these? So I told everybody that story and everybody stopped going there and they went out of bit. They didn't go out of business because of me. They went out of business because they were doing that to everybody who came in looking for expensive stuff. Yeah. Market value is market value. If they're going way up, no one's going to buy it. And I never understood the scalper mentality like that. Like you get one sale for a thousand dollars for something that's worth 200 bucks and everybody's going to tell their friends what a horrible ripoff they, you know, they got ripped off. They're going to tell all their friends what store it was. You're going to lose customers. Why not be the person that's reasonable? Like, Hey, it's a $200 item. You're paying 200 for it. And if it breaks a week from now, that's too bad. This is used stuff. 
but what else do you want? You know, I'll give you everything at market price. No mark, you know, no crazy markup, no scumbagging. People will come back to that. You'll still piss people off. There's a large bunch of entitlement. Part of it's from Amazon's customer service and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But reasonable people will just tell everybody they know, like, hey, I just got a 13-inch CRT with a component video input for a hundred bucks at the recycler over there. Why don't you go grab one? It'd be perfect for your old Smash tournaments or something. Like that's the type of thing where I would hope that most people would would latch onto. And I hope that everybody listening, if you find places like this, you'd be willing to help spread the word. Because even if you already have your holy grail CRT, or even if you just decided I bought a 120 hertz OLED and I'm buying a Tink 4K, I don't have the space for CRTs anymore. You know somebody that wants one. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, what do you think people can do to price compare to make sure that before they buy something, they're getting a reasonable price? Um, you know, that's a that's a really good question. So, the size of the CRT is, is important. The inputs and the features. So, if you ever found a CRT that has, uh, so any of the HD CRTs. If you have the right inputs on those, you could watch 480p stuff in it. And those are worth a little bit more because you could even watch modern stuff. You could plug an Apple TV, a Fire Stick, a Roku Stick right into this and get all the smooth motion of a CRT with less lag than your average flat panel and no motion blur. So those are worth at least a little tiny bit more. Um, TVs that are multi-sync that could actually process old video game signals 240p correctly uh, those are definitely going to be worth more if they could also do 480p and above. So one monitor that does, you know, old and sort of old at the same time, those would definitely be ones that were worth more that people would be more than happy to pay for because they're very hard to hunt down. Okay, I didn't know that. So there's some that do 240 and 480. Yes. Wow. And on top of that, this, the tests that you would run to make sure that it can do it and that it's processing the signal correctly one video game console like if you had uh, a sega dreamcast or even even older stuff like a genesis a super nintendo 99 percent of the tests that you need to do all of this stuff are all in one piece of free open source software 240p test suite shout out to the amazing artemio for doing that uh so basically that would be it you would just test all of those you know snap with your picture your phone the whole way through and then any 480p signal to test for multi-sync and that's if you get a yes, then I would actually spend a, almost no TVs are going to be 480p. It's such a small percentage, but the ones that do spend an extra two or three minutes going, okay, I also want to test 720, 1080i, and see what else I can do. Maybe a PC resolution. I can show you a device that does that very cheap and very easy. You just plug it right in. Mm-hmm. And now you just, within five minutes, you have all of the data that you need to give to your customers. And the the more expensive ones are definitely going to be more features. And uh, same with PC VGA monitors, ones that have uh, a better dot pitch that can handle higher refresh rates are going to sell for a lot because you could take a monitor now that, um, you know, we have, uh, I was just doing a live stream the other day. It, the highest resolution it could do at 120 hertz was only like 1280 by 768 or 1024 by 768. But that still means you're getting 120 hertz motion. So that all of the advantages of modern and retro all at the same time. And I even have a a cracked yellow cased one sitting right there that can go even higher resolution at higher refresh rates. So it's not just the gaming and VHS crowd, but you also have the PC gamers. And anybody who's been exposed to what a CRT looks like next to a flat panel for certain games I mean, there's no describing it. It's so much better, not for the geometry, but everything else, it is just an upgrade. So what are your choices? Finding a recycler that may have found you a $100 PC monitor that you could just plug directly in with a $20 HDMI to VGA adapter? Or do you go out and buy a $1,000 OLED gaming monitor and try to run it in BFI? It's, It's two wildly different price points for very similar performance. So. Now, what about those those screens from uh, you got late '90s, early 2000s? There were screens that were the precursor to the flat screens. They still had like a glass. tube or a lamp, and it was either glass or like a plasticky material on the front. Um, 
I come across those sometimes. Is there a market for those or is the crowd really more into the stuff further back from that? Sir, so the fact that it's flat or curved, um, and by the way, some of them, just for some some random 90s, early 2000s, useless knowledge, some of them actually had flat glass in front, and those were much heavier and much more expensive because in order to vacuum seal the tube, that's why they curved it. The curvature of the tube helped the seal together when it uh, once they made it. So to get a flat glass, they had to use much thicker glass to withstand the many, many pounds of pressure that were basically constantly sucking in on it. So a bunch of companies did the ghetto version and just put a thin piece of glass in front of a curved tube and called it curved glass. Um, but generally speaking, no one's looking for flat glass unless it's a model that performs really well. So mm -hmm. most people would prefer curved for the look, for light gun support. Um, flat glass tubes often work fine, but not all do, whereas basically all curved uh, tube TVs would. But just because it's got flat glass doesn't mean it's bad because it's also a time period in which it's more common to see component video inputs. So now you, uh, you get the higher quality signal and I also don't know if I've ever seen consumer multi-format CRTs that were curved tubes. So if you wanted something that does 480i and 480p, then you might actually be stuck with a flat glass HD CRT. And, uh, and just as an aside for any of my nerds listening, um, even if those don't process 240p correctly, they often de-interlace 480i at little to no latency. So what you end up getting is a very cool look for 480i, definitely no more latency than a flat panel, and you get the ability to also run 480p. So uh, Xbox, Wii, PlayStation 2 especially, GameCube, and Dreamcast even, uh, even though Dreamcast is basically an all 480p library now thanks to uh, a developer that patched those extra games. But still, if you're using all original discs, those consoles are, all would run perfect on those HD CRTs. And even though some have a frame of latency, a frame of latency with no motion blur definitely feels less. It doesn't feel like an LCD monitor with a frame of latency. So those are all all worth noting if you see them, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because that's what I had in mind was original Xbox with the component. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. It's funny, too, because the way a CRT draws its image is completely different than any other TV out there. So the in it's very forgiving for older content. So having certain games like I always use Sega GT 2002 in my examples because it is an ugly, ugly video game. They just the colors, the brightness. It's just it's not great. And it's hard to get it to look good on flat panels, but you can often, I mean, it's even hard to get look good on, on CRTs, but you can do it. You can dial it in. So it's uh, it's neat to see. Uh, and that'll run in 480p as well. So. Mm -hmm. And what were the inputs that you mentioned today so far for CRT screens? Well, the one that, the one that you'll almost never find in the US that is like a holy crap, let's stop for a moment is SCART. It's yeah, I never heard of that. What is that? Uh, so in Europe, that's the main connector you would mostly see. And the reason it's important is because it could handle composite S-video and component, but it could also handle RGB, which is, in most of the old consoles, the best raw signal with no compression or changing the signal at all that you can get. So uh, I, there were TVs released in the U.S. with SCART inputs. I think a handful only accepted composite video over SCART, but most would actually, most of the five TVs or whatever it was, would actually support RGB, which means you could just take the console, the best cable you can get, and that TV and plug it in with no modding and get a great signal. Plus, collectors like to have stuff like that. Anybody that is into CRTs, just the, like I have a tiny, the one over there that looks like it's from the 60s is a, a replica built in the early 2000s, and it's got a SCART port, so I could play all my old games that, without any mods on a, a weird retro-looking 60s-style TV. So, How do you spell that? It's S-C-A-R-T? Yep, that's it. Okay. So the, the getting started part of the website would walk you through 
the different formats and stuff like that. But SCART's going to be the one where it's people would pay a little extra for that. And then component video, the where it's the red, green, and blue inputs. Sure. That's not RGB, even though the color's defined in there. It's actually YPBPR. It's a different thing. It's not the same, but it's equal in quality. So those are also a big deal. And I think the ones that people are most interested in, which are not going to be worth a million bucks, but I think people would pay a little more for curved tube TVs with component video inputs because they're generally um, to have both means that it was made at a time where things were already, you know how like when products are made by the 10th year they're made, the cheapest one is better than the best one from 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. In most cases, it's kind of the same thing. So by the time they get to component video inputs, if you're still using a curved tube, it's probably one of the best tubes out there. You have the higher signal on the input and it might even be a later TV. Um, the one that I have is a JVC D series. It's just a consumer TV. It's nothing special about it, but the tubes are very nice and it's got component video input. So they end up looking really nice. Um, and people do pay a couple extra bucks for those. You know, they're not, a lot of the TVs that you might find might be $50 TVs, but um, those are generally sell more because they're cheaper and smaller and easier to ship. But that, you know, a JVC D series would be in good conditions, definitely a hundred bucks and depending on the size. It is just hysterical to me that a big giant 36 inch TV would be harder to sell because you need two people to move it and a, mm -hmm. a vehicle big enough to ship it. So you would actually probably, I'm just guessing on this one, but you'd probably get more for the 27 inch than the 36 inch model because, you know, two people could easily carry a 27 and just fit it in a sedan or something. Yeah, well, and the heavier something gets, the more reluctant someone is to pay for shipping because you get to the point where the shipping ends up costing more than the thing you're selling. Right, yeah. And if it's a rare production monitor, cool, that's fine. But, you know, especially if you get it at a good deal. But a TV that you spent 100 bucks on, you're going to spend 250 in shipping? It doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, so now that I just beat you to death with CRT info, <laughs> uh, what other stuff do you stumble across? Do you come across video game consoles or even like cell phones, tablets? Like, do you go through all of that stuff? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's for game consoles. One time in a pickup, I came across a ColecoVision. I nice. don't know the, 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 the person really knew what they had or they just didn't want it anymore. Um, I got a, I have a Dreamcast over here, but the disc spinner part doesn't work but it still boots mm. up and gets some signal on the screen. Um, yeah, we come across like every once in a while, old, old Nintendo, old Super Nintendo. It's just tough because by the time people chuck it, there's usually one thing wrong with it and it can be kind of a pain to fix it. Like PlayStation 2 and 3 CD trays are like impossible to fix and get the parts and yeah. stuff. So, so that, yeah. um, that might actually be better. And I'm just speculating here, by the way, I'm talking out loud. So if I say about to say something incredibly stupid, that's fine. Make fun of me for it. But my guess would be that in, for stuff like video games would be to get in touch with a, a group of local modders who would want to buy that basically at bulk. So you get in a Super Nintendo and a Genesis and a ColecoVision and you grab all of the accessories for it and you bag them up and you say, here, untested X price. And let the people who do this for a living go through them. Because if they open up a Super Nintendo with dead RAM chips and the motherboards rotted because it was wet, there's still stuff they could salvage out of that. What if the case isn't yellowed? What if they need a cartridge slot, the motherboard ports? If people are doing constant modding and rebuilding of consoles, that's not mm -hmm. junk anymore. And while you might still get paid for, for the gold that's inside it, the people who really need these parts to rebuild are going to be the ones that benefit. That's why I try not to trash them. I really do. Yeah. Um, and in what you're saying makes a lot of sense. One time I sold a ColecoVision that was not working as, cause you know how on eBay they have that category for parts not working. I yeah. sold it like that, assuming someone's going to want to desolder some rare chip off of there or something. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that's, um, that's kind of another eBay thing, uh, eBay pet peeve of people's. Uh, what you just described is awesome. So, hey, like, I don't, you know, I don't even have time to turn this thing on. It's just, I'm selling it for parts are not working. Maybe it's mint, maybe it's not. You take it. People love taking that gamble, but there's a group of people on there that will go to mod a console 
destroy it because they don't know what they're doing and then list it for parts are not working. And then people mm-hmm. get something thinking, you know, maybe I have an honest chance of getting something cool and they open it up and it's just filled with glue and, you know, torn apart chips and stuff. So well, I, I think I'm, I'm like on the first line of getting the stuff out of people's basements and attics. I don't think I'm getting yeah. this, the skeleton stuff because it's recycling pickups. Yeah. I'm just saying it, even though you're listing honestly, you probably expect weird questions if you put direct stuff uh, on eBay like that mm-hmm. because of, you know, has this been modded? Um, you know, if you go to Dreamcast, has this had a DC digital inside it? And if you're like, I don't know what that is, that's a fair question or that's a fair answer because that mm-hmm. means that you just you you're just honestly reselling something you found. But when people ask that question, it's because what they're really saying is, were you a pompous idiot that thought you could do an expert level soldering job all by yourself, even though you've never done it before? Did you just destroy the console and now you're selling it for parts? So (laughs) I'm telling you, you and every other recycler listening, that's that's the questions you're going to run into. And that's (laughs) why you're getting so feel free in the the listing to, to just have like a copy and paste blurb for everyone like. Yeah, we are a recycling center. These uh, we haven't even opened these. To our knowledge, they're untouched. You know that way. If if you end up getting a recycled console that somebody did screw up, it's not it's not on you. You weren't the one screwing people over. You're just honestly saying, I picked this up in a junk lot. Get into you at a cheap price. Maybe it's mint. Maybe it's not. It's up to you. And uh, most people are very cool with that. Hmm. That's um, good to know. Yeah. And on the flip side, too, what if people have stuff that they want to call you for or other companies kind of similar to yours? Like, what if they have a pile? I know so many people with a pile of cell phones in their drawer. Uh, When it comes to stuff like that, you know, is there any protocol for personal data or is it always up to the customer no matter what, no matter what recycling center you're using? Responsible recyclers just handle data destruction. Like I, we do it as just part of it. Like you give us some device where we're either formatting the drive and wiping it with anti-forensic software or we're physically destroying it. Same thing with phones. Old phones get ground up in machines eventually by trusted partners. As far as just you never know who you're giving your stuff to, if you can wipe it, wipe it. I mean, you can if you have a cell phone, you're not really sure how to wipe the data. Even on older phones, like I go on Google all the time, how do I factory reset such and such model? And there's random information out there about older phones and how to reset them, whatever, like special button combination you have to press to get to the reset area in the, you know, whatever BIOS chip it has. It's funny because, you know, being the token nerd of my uh, family and uh, in-laws and stuff, very often they'll hand me stuff like that. Like, oh, here's my iPhone from six years ago. Could you get rid of this for me? And I'll do exactly that. I'll try to do uh, just a factory wipe. But then if you don't have their password and they never remember the password, there's mm-hmm. no chance in hell that they've remembered that. And so then you have to go and you're going to do some of the methods where you kind of skirt around it. And, you know, you do the um, I forgot what it was called, the not DFI mode, but basically you, you get around the bootloader and you do a factory restore that way. Uh, and then you set it back to nothing and you could throw it out. Are there tools out there that you use for stuff like that? Like if somebody hands you a locked iPhone that they really just want to trash, is there easy ways to just plug something in and, and have the data wiped? Or do you have to suffer through all the same crap I do when I do these things? Oh, we, I suffer through it. We've tried so many different programs and software tools for doing that and just had trouble hitting the mark. My mm-hmm. sister used to own a cell phone store and whoever she had connections with that could factory reset a locked iPhone never really gave away their secrets. So it's like, I know it's possible. I just don't know exactly what is the, the right way to do that. Now, in terms of Apple, I would say if you are just going to scrap some device, the Apple iCloud lock does seem to me to be relatively secure. Like it's really hard to break. Mm. So it's like, you know, if you, you hand your, your old iPhone in for recycling, the only option is to just crush it down and get the materials out. And your, your data is probably safer than other brands considering the iPhone lock is pretty safe. It's just unfortunate because there's a market for old iPhones. Like someone will give me an iPhone six or seven that is, doesn't have a scratch on it. And I know someone on Mercari will want to buy that for 30, $40, but it's iCloud locked and it's really difficult to find the right software to force unlock it. Yeah. Yeah. That sucks. Um, that sucks for everybody. And, you know, I get why Apple does something like that. And it makes sense. And, you know, especially with um, the first and second gen iPhones, 
they were just getting stolen all the time and then just shipped overseas. And if it's out of the country, then it's out of jurisdiction for police. And it's just nothing, nothing you could really do about it. Mm -hmm. And stuff like this does deter that. But, you know, um, it, it's just one of those things where it's not a perfect world, right? Not everybody just trades in their old phone to Apple as they get the new one. Or, mm -hmm. you know, what are you going to do if you have an Android phone? They don't have upgrade systems. So it's nice to know that you're at least, you know, putting effort into making sure people's personal data and, you know, uh, phone numbers named, you know, mom's cell phone aren't floating around there because that's just so easy for identity theft. And you yeah, know, that's the most common question that I get when people call, when people respond to my on my Facebook ads that I do in like the town Facebook group. The biggest question is always what happens to my data. So we we'll, we have a very specific, you know, uh, routine that we do for for destroying the data, and I always make sure to tell someone that over the phone or post paste, you know, post that in the chat on Facebook and explain it. Um, and it's always a good question to ask if you're going to recycle any old junk, ask them what they do to, to keep your data safe and see if they give you a straight answer. That's a very good tip. That's a tip that that's a tip people could use globally right there. So <laughs> um, now on the PC side of things, there were, there was a fad going around for a while about 15 years ago where people were using these giant pieces of metal for their PC cases. There are real PC cases, but they're heavy. They're, you know, they're just twice as big as anybody needed them to be. And they're mostly just made of metal. Uh, are those things that recyclers hate or like? Is that something where the metal gets melted down and you get paid? Or is that just more heavy crap you got to deal with? Are you talking about like the 2006-ish Mac towers that were like Not a big aluminum outside? Yeah, those, but also the um, just regular PC cases that people use to build their own or that private companies would use to build their own. Stuff like that. Um, for a while there, they came in giant heavy cases. Is that... Um, you know, are you able to make money off of that? Or is that really just a giant pain in your ass? The only ones I've seen like that would be the ones through the eighties, like the IBMs and the IBM clones. Some of those are big, heavy clunkers. Um, I have sold some of those where I shipped them, but I feel like they're so heavy. The people in, they get damaged a lot on the way they get dented and banged mm -hmm. up because I feel like they're, they're so heavy. It's just easier for the people in the routing facilities to just, throw it onto the conveyor belts and the rollers and stuff. And you can just tell somewhere along the way, it just gets beat up and it's better when I can to sell them locally to collectors in the area over Facebook marketplace and do a personal meetup. Cause I'd say like half of those things get dented, banged up sometimes even really bad, especially if you have to ship it out to California, it's going across country. That's a real good chance. All kinds of opportunities for it to get banged up. Yeah, I mean, that's a great answer, but I was actually thinking on the other side of things. So if you've decided it's scrap, is oh. it scrap that's actually like worth your time or is it just bare, almost a waste of your time to scrap something with lots of aluminum like that and painted aluminum and other mixed metal inside of it? No, it's all worth it because you get the circuit boards out and that's the most valuable part. And then truckloads of, of scrap metal go to the scrapyard down the street in bulk anyway. Okay. Because I always kind of wondered that because maybe there was just one company around the Stanford, Connecticut area, or maybe it was as widespread as I thought. But um, a lot of my you know, IT friends who ran uh, IT departments and stuff, when they did the decommissioning, they would often offer me stuff that six, seven years earlier was a $3,500 computer. And for a couple of years in a row, every time I got my hands on something like that, it was as heavy as a CRT, just this mm -hmm. giant hunk of metal. And I just never understood like, why would they have used so much metal in this shipping, the cost of materials? Like, who who thought this was a good idea? Yeah. And what do you do with it? Do people hunt these down? Or is it like a recycler's nightmare? But it just sounds like it's scrap metal like all, like all other scrap metal. Yeah, I mean, if you have to scrap stuff, the way you're making money is by the pound, by the ton. So mm -hmm. if it weighs that much, it's not a bad thing. Gotcha. Um, now... Uh, we know we talked about PCs a little bit. Um, do you, you said that some of them, depending on where they come from, you might recommission and sell those yourself on the website if you find a decent one that people might want, right? Yeah, I mean, we get laptops that are like not that older generation Intel laptops. It would be a shame to just scrap it. We get computers mm. that we know are older, but they're part of the nostalgia market. It would be a shame to scrap it. And it's always worth more to resell it anyway. So the the thing we're doing all, always is looking out for what can we refurbish, resell, or strip for parts. That's the top. 
you know, top tier. Yeah, Scrapping is a last resort. That's that's really great for everybody, you know? And that's just, if you think about the other side of that, right? You got a, a couple of parents that you know, need cheap computers for their kids, but you know damn well they're going to spill their juice on it or they're going to yeah. drop their yeah. backpack. <laughs> and you, know, you can't be buying kids $800 laptops over and over. So to get something that's fine for cheap is probably everybody wins you have to make a little money you clear out a laptop that was sitting on somebody's shelf for a year that they didn't need anymore some kids get a laptop they can go and do their schoolwork on like it's i I just i think people maybe i'm wrong i hope i'm wrong about this but i think people generally don't appreciate what goes into recycling this stuff and getting it back out there i hope i'm wrong i'd like to be it's in their mind it's just garbage they just want to get rid of it and once it's out of sight they forget it yeah. And, and that's when, you know, a lot of stuff, uh, you know, it's sad to see stuff go to waste. I think, you know, you buy too much food for a party and then you try to eat it all over the next couple of days and you got to throw, you know, two meals worth of stuff out because it went bad and it's got mold on it. That stuff, that stuff bothers me. And it's not about the money. I mean, I'm not rich. I don't, I don't go around just buying food to waste. It's about something that was perfectly good that could have, mm-hmm. somebody could have appreciated or wanted is now useless. And it's, uh, compost pile or in a garbage and i i really feel that way that way with a lot of stuff that's why i always resell my old equipment or or give it away or stuff like that and uh, i try to pay close attention to the things that to not give away things i'm going to need a couple years from now it's every electronic quarters nightmare how many boxes do my fellow nerds have in their houses with wires and cables and connectors that they haven't (laughs) used in 10 years and you know if you get rid of it you need it tomorrow that's always what happens so the kind of always an interesting balance. Um, so on a completely different angle, if I'm sure there's going to be a handful of people that listen to this that that get excited about this stuff and maybe want to do this as a hobby, like, hey, you know, I'd love to find older stuff, junk piles. And I know a lot of people who buy junk lots of video games online and refurbish them and sell them and stuff like that. Are there any tips that you could give to people any do's or don'ts anything that is there any weird thing that's illegal that i don't even know like is it illegal to say hey we'll take your phones for free if you're not a licensed recycling center like i don't know any of that is there any tips or knowledge you might want to share to people that want to do this as a as a hobby or or, you know who knows maybe they're already set up around the country to do this as a living yeah the only licensing specific things that i know of is if you collect things from the from the government then they want you to be an R2 recycler and registered in certain ways. And, and sometimes doctor's offices, because of HIPAA compliance and patient security, they require chain of custody things to be signed. But that's really some very specific situations. For the most part, you can just collect old junk and you just have to watch out for different states have different rules about what is considered to be hazardous material and how to handle it. So you never know if some state considers CRT to be hazardous and if they have some special rules for it. Mm. That's good tips. What about physically handling it? Because one tip that I always have given people for years is that if you get junk lots of stuff that may have been sitting in somebody's basement or garage, leave it outside before you bring it in. Because I've had, and a lot of my friends have had many, many consoles where they open it up and it is a roach graveyard. And more than one of my friends has opened up a console and a roach ran out of it, was still alive. So, you know, that's definitely advice that I'd be more than happy to share. But are there any weird and fun things like that? Like warnings, like, you know, this one has poo on it. Like, you know, (laughs) something you can share? Nothing weird, just spiders. I haven't come across roaches, but I've seen spiders seem to like to nest in some of those things. You mm-hmm. open something up, make sure you see if the chip, you want to check to see if the chips are burned, if the circuit boards look okay, and you open it up and there's just like, you know, cottony mush of spider web and things living and crawling around or dead in there. Mm. That's a big thing with people who salvage old cars too. It's not just the mouse poo and the dead animals and stuff. They'll, you know, they'll try to blow it out and then they'll bring it to a mechanic just to do, just to do an assessment and the mechanic will reach their hand up and come back with a giant spider bite because there's still spiders living in it, even though everything else in there is dead. So mm-hmm. that's a good tip. Careful of spiders. And then uh, sometimes you get stuff that just has mystery gunk on it. You just have no idea what happened to it. Yeah. Mystery gunk is always, uh, <laughs> always gross. Always, always gross. 
anytime you open something up and it just goes it's like oh i don't want to know let's just pretend that was coca-cola that dried or not you know whatever else it could be so um well i mean this was pretty informative uh hopefully on both ends hopefully i was able to give you and any other recycler some cool crt related tips uh you've definitely given me more insight into how all of this stuff works um uh so for I guess the next couple of questions are the easy ones. If a company, so somebody listening here has a, an office where they're looking to recycle a bunch of stuff uh, or a person, hey, I have five cell phones, two computers and a, a flat panel TV that died two years ago. Mm-hmm. How do they contact you if they're in the Glastonbury, Connecticut area or you know, what's the distance that you drive? Like little, if you wouldn't mind a little bit more about yourself and your business, just so if people around this area need your help, they could contact you. Yeah, I mean, we're positioned right in the middle of things. So I'm kind of in the outskirts of town, but I'm also right near the highway entrance for the next towns over. So on this side of the Connecticut River, it's pretty easy for me to get around Glastonbury, East Hartford, Newington, Wethersfield, and that whole area. So I do pickups around there. And it kind of depends on what they have, if it's worth it for me. If someone says I have a printer over in Wethersfield, I don't want to drive out of town for that. If someone says I have a few laptops and an old desktop computer from the basement that might be worth it. And then I, the main way that I advertise is actually very simple. It's just, I mean, it takes five, 10 minutes to put an ad on Facebook saying free computer recycling, free pickup, free data destruction. And a lot comes in that way. I mean, that's how most of the business comes in. It's just pretty cheap, quick, simple Facebook ads. So basically for you personally, if it's smaller stuff, uh, it's a local thing. And if a company said, Hey, I got 35, 40 computers that are still working. We just got to decommission them. You'd probably go all the way to the city if you needed to, if you thought it was worth enough money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Show up in the truck. I have a Tahoe with the back seats out so I can haul out some of those IT department stuff. Schools too. There's, there's a college in the area where I'm kind of their recycler and they get rid of, um, you know, desktops, laptops, servers. They had some CRTs here and there too. Very cool. Um, anything else that you wanted to let people know about you, the business, um, any insider secrets or just, you know, obviously I will be posting links to your eBay store and your main website yeah. for anybody that's interested, but anything other than that? Please? No, I mean, we're still up and coming. My main business was IT support, like going into homes and doing tech support, uh, doing small business IT. And I kind of stumbled into this recycling business by accident a couple of years ago. So, I mean, I don't necessarily have a lot of uh, insider tips and info because I'm still just kind of figuring this out as I go along. I didn't necessarily set up a whole business plan for how to do recycling business. I stumbled into this, so I'm still learning a lot as I go along, too. Well, that's very cool. Um, you know, we do have a, a really awesome community of people in the retro scene. You know, every community's got their psychos, nut jobs, and assholes. But for the most part, we have a bunch of very cool people and people that are always willing to help. So um, I could probably also put you in touch with uh, some of the CRT groups. Okay, so that if you ever have questions, you know, uh, there's one on Facebook. There's a couple on Discord where you could just, you know, make yourself known you're a recycler and every once in a while post pictures and not only will they help you these are probably the same group of people that'll be like that dibs that was fine that's the one i've been wanting or you know oh, i'm too far away but you know i'm gonna tell my buddy who's kind of you know new hampshire's they could drive to get it or something so yeah all right well thank you very much for your time jason this was a very neat conversation and a a cool peek into what goes on on the other side of the recycling of electronics and stuff yeah it's my pleasure i I appreciate you having me on i i'm going to read some more of your website because i found some very valuable information on there and i'm looking forward to those links you have for those groups so i can learn more because i still have a little you know little ways to go getting my bearings on the crt screen stuff so this is good Cool. Well, uh, thanks again. And we'll hopefully touch base again next year or something. Maybe we'll have some fun projects to get you involved in or something. Yeah. (laughs) 